Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, turmoil at a Christian radio station in Orlando has caused the entire industry to take a hard look in the mirror. We begin today with a story of a ministry founder who has been asked to step down from his role because of unbiblical behavior. Yeah, the evangelical pastor Jeff Jansen made national headlines earlier this year when he said that God would take action to reinstall Donald Trump as president of the United States. Now, however, His board has taken action, and they've asked him to step down as president of Global Fire Ministries and Global Fire Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, due to what they're calling unscriptural and unbiblical behavior. A statement from the ministry's leadership team, board, and advisor said that Jansen had made an intentional decision to leave his wife and family and to pursue his own desires. Jansen's wife, named Jan Jansen, is now listed on the ministry's website as the group's sole senior leader. The couple had been married for more than 25 years, had eight children, and eight grandchildren. Uh, The statement said that Jansen had a pattern of making poor moral choices while ministering both at home and on the road, plus an inability to cope that made it apparent that Jansen had character flaws that disqualified him from leadership. The board said that Jansen had been confronted about his flaws numerous times over a period of time and that he had declined to submit to the process of healing and reconciliation. Up next is the latest chapter in an ongoing story we've been following out of Orlando, Florida. It's the story of radio station WPOZ. It's also locally known as The Z. Warren, what's going on there, and why is this not just a local story, but a national story? Well, it has been a tough couple of weeks for one of Christian Radio's best-known stations, Z88.3 WPOZ in Orlando. It at first appeared to me, Natasha, that the story began when uh, a lot of people left the Christian radio station, uh, and they were also kind of scratching their heads around the country because the president and founder Jim Hogue had planted a false story with an industry publication in a failed effort to keep another Christian radio station from competing against it. We reported on that a couple of weeks ago, but when that story came out, it caused such an uproar that the promotions director left the station and the story became the subject of debate on national platforms uh, within the Christian radio industry. The idea that a Christian radio station would intentionally attempt to undermine another Christian radio station was the kind of doggy dog tactic that might be common in secular radio. 
but which a lot of people believed or hoped would never take place within Christian radio. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, that's one of the reasons why this story, I think, has gone national. Uh, When the story went public, a lot of current and former staff members at the Z started coming forward with other strange stories. We published some of those stories this week, and the result was that at least— Two people who talked to us, whistleblowers, were fired within a couple of days of our story being published. And the station also has had to hire a PR firm that specializes in crisis management to deal with the controversy. So what's happening next? Well, you know, it's a good question. Some current and former staff members are calling for the removal of Jim Hogue as president. Uh, That call has been taken up by some donors and members of the community. People in the Christian radio industry, as I said, have started speaking out about uh, not only Jim Hogue's behavior, but that that behavior, toxic bullying behavior, has become all too common in Christian radio stations around the country and shouldn't be tolerated. So does that mean that Jim Hogue is going to leave the station? Well, that's not yet clear. One of the things that we reported on in our stories was the fact that Hogue controls the board of directors at the station. The board consists mostly of Hogue and employees who report directly to him. There's only one outside board member. He also has a founder's protection clause in the bylaws that make it very difficult for the board to fire him. So the pressure to replace Hogue will likely have to come from the community or from donors. Well, please keep us posted. Well, I will. You can count on that. (laughs) Up next, we have a story from Saddleback Church in Southern California. Yes, Saddleback is one of the largest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, and it's the home of influential Pastor Rick Warren. This week, they ordained three women as staff pastors, a move that critics say violates the Southern Baptist Convention's statement of faith. The three newly ordained pastors are longtime Saddleback staff members, but there is a ban on women pastors in the Baptist Faith and Message, which is the Southern Baptist Convention's doctrinal statement. That ban was added specifically to the Baptist Faith and Message in the year 2000, and it says that the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. Now, in recent years, some Southern Baptists have argued that limit should only apply to the senior pastor's role. But Al Mohler, who served on the committee that revised the statement of faith, rejects that idea and said that no one in the group that revised the bylaws or revised the Baptist faith and message had made that distinction. Ordaining a woman pastor, as Saddleback has done, violates Baptist and biblical teaching. That, according to Al Mohler. Saddleback has taken action that places itself in direct conflict with the stated doctrines of the Southern Baptist Convention. Those were his words to Religion News Service. So do you think that Saddleback is going to leave the SBC or get kicked out? Yeah, Saddleback uh, did not immediately respond to requests for comment. Uh, Al Mohler now is a candidate for the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, That decision will be made at the denomination's upcoming annual meeting, which is just next month. He stopped short of saying that Saddleback should be removed from the SBC. He said that that's a decision that needs to be made by all of the messengers, which is what they call the delegates to the annual meeting. But he did say that the annual meeting uh, is the place for this discussion to take place. 
Interesting. Well, you'll have to keep us posted on that as well. Well, here we have to take a quick break, but when we return, news about Christian ministries who are helping India deal with its catastrophic COVID outbreak. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now let's continue with the story of the skyrocketing rate of COVID infections in India. That's the bad news, but the good news is that nonprofits, including many Christian groups, are rushing into their aid. Yeah, as skyrocketing COVID-19 infections and deaths continue to devastate India, a flurry of nonprofits and relief organizations are pumping millions of dollars in relief money uh, into the country to support uh, the country's response. Uh, The Journal of Philanthropy reported this week that the nonprofit Indiaspora has raised over a million dollars in the last week alone. The India-based donation platform Give India has raised over $37 million for the country's COVID relief. World Vision, which of course many of our listeners know is a big Christian organization based in Seattle, Washington, announced last week that it plans to redouble its efforts to provide PPE, personal protective equipment, surgical masks, sanitation supplies, and other material to hospitals, healthcare centers, and communities. It's also providing financial support for families via cash and vouchers. North Carolina-based Samaritan's Purse also is rushing to aid folks there. They are uh, partnering with hospitals there to provide oxygen and other supplies. The organization is also distributing food packages to more than a thousand families. And MAP International aims to raise about $100,000 to provide PPE to hospitals and healthcare workers in India. The organization says that because it gets donations in material in addition to cash, that For every dollar it gets, it can distribute more than $100 in medical supplies and medicines within India. While we're on the subject of international relief, let's take a quick look at Mercy Ships. This organization passed a milestone this week. Yeah, it did. Uh, The world's largest non-governmental organization, Hospital Ship, has now completed its deep water sea trials, uh, one of the final milestones before its planned launch into service in sub-Saharan Africa next year, 2022. It's called the Global Mercy, and this ship was actually built by Mercy Ships. Uh, It'll provide surgical care to patients in low to middle-income countries, free of charge with the help of volunteers and charitable donors. Other than its 
size, which is enormous, there are some other things different about this ship. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, The new vessel, as I said, is the first one that Mercy Ships has built from the ground up, from design to implementation. In the past, they have taken other ships that were built for other purposes and repurposed to them as hospital ships. The Global Mercy will join Africa Mercy in service in uh, Sub-Saharan and Central Africa. The ship's hospital decks consist of six operating theaters and hospital wards for 200 patients, a laboratory, and it also has general outpatient ophthalmology and dental clinics. Uh, It will also be equipped with facilities for training local healthcare professionals when this ship is docked. Uh, and and I got to tell you, Natasha, I've I've seen um, not this ship, but predecessor ships, and it's really remarkable what they do there. Uh, they use a lot of volunteers. Six hundred and forty-one volunteer crew members can fit on this ship, and the anticipated lifespan for the ship is going to be probably at least fifty years. And I should mentioned, by the way, that we have a photo of this ship at the Ministry Watch website, and you should check it out. It's pretty impressive. That is awesome. Well, unfortunately, we have to shift to a rather down topic, and we have several more stories this week of pastors arrested for sex crimes. Can you share a few details, not too many, and talk about why you think these stories are important? Yeah, a pastor was among 79 men who were arrested during a federal sting operation in Florida this past week. His name was Ernest Benjamin. He was 39 years old. He's a pastor at Breath of Life Worship Center in Tampa, Florida, uh, which has since shut down its website. He's accused of offering to pay an undercover detective $25 to engage in a sex act after he dropped off his children at daycare. In fact, officers said that Benjamin actually solicited the sex while his two children were still in the car. Uh, In Colorado, Kevin Troy Daniels, who was the lead pastor at New Jerusalem Missionary Baptist Church in Fountain, Colorado, which is just south of Colorado Springs. I'm sure, Natasha, you know where that is. uh, Was arrested on suspicion of sexual assault after a girl who is an alleged victim uh, told her school counselor about the abuse. Uh, The school counselor, by law, was required to notify authorities. The girl, by the way, was just 12 years old. Wow. And there's another one in North Carolina. Yeah, uh, one uh, near your home and one near my home, I'm sad to say. Uh, Oscar Vera Jimenez is the pastor of Iglesia Pentecostes Espirito Santo, which is a small church in Siler City, North Carolina. He faces more than 100 charges related to the sexual abuse of at least two children. Originally charged with the abuse of one child after a complaint was made, Jimenez was charged with additional counts from the second child and now faces 24 counts of sexual battery, 20 counts of first-degree kidnapping, 24 counts of indecent liberties with a child, and one count of common law robbery. Now, this investigation is ongoing, but I've heard statements from the police. It's a pretty solid case. They have been sort of... uh, uh, heartbroken by what they have found. They've said made several public statements. And in fact, they said, unfortunately, they expect to find yet more victims. Man, these are horrible and heartbreaking stories. So I have to ask, why do we talk about them? I mean, wouldn't it be better to deal with these matters quickly and quietly? Well, sometimes, yes, I think that might be the right approach. But let me ask you this for, I think, this case and most of the other ones. If you got a headache today, what would you do? 
Well, drink a lot of water, maybe take some aspirin or Tylenol. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's what I would do too. Not a big deal. Small problems. You don't need very big solutions. But what if you learned that everyone in your office building or in your neighborhood or in your city was getting similar headaches and some of those people were ending up in the hospital? Wouldn't you want to know that? Absolutely. Well, yeah, of course you would. Not only that, if someone tried to keep that information from you, tried to keep it quiet, that would only add to your concerns. In other words, not knowing doesn't make things better. Um, In fact, it would potentially add to the number of victims of whatever has gone wrong. So what you're essentially saying is reporting these kind of stories, even though the details are really tough and heartbreaking, are actually essential and vital. Well, that's exactly right. First of all, if we don't know how common such stories are or what the conditions that create these kinds of behaviors, we won't take the tough steps that are necessary to prevent these incidents from recurring. We might decide, well, you know, we only need an aspirin. We don't need brain surgery. When, in fact, if we knew the old story, we might think that we might need, in fact, to take these more difficult steps. Secondly, reporting such stories unflinchingly doesn't undermine the credibility of the church, as some people say. In fact, I would argue it enhances the credibility of the church. It tells the world that we, too, find this behavior reprehensible, and we will not give perpetrators a pass. We'll stand with and protect the victims. And, you know, as the old saying goes, sunlight is the best disinfectant, and that's still true today. Absolutely. That's a great point. Well, Warren, we have to take another quick break, but when we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of news briefs. What's up first? Well, I want to make sure that everyone sees the story of One Mission Ministries, which highlights the work of Abraham Barberi in the Mexican border town of Matamoros. Uh, Barberi was formerly the troublemaking son, that's his own words to describe himself, of a former gang member turned pastor. His ministry has helped thousands of people who are seeking asylum at the border with food, water, and pastoral care. Didn't they tell his story on the program CBS this morning? Yeah, they did. But what I love about Bethany's story in uh, the ministry uh, at the Ministry Watch website is that Barbary's Christian faith, which he says is what drives his work, I think comes through much more plainly than in the CBS story. You might say, as Paul Harvey once said years ago, now you know the rest of the story. 
<laughs> I love that. So what's next? Well, I've been interested to know how the pandemic has been affecting fundraising for ministries. So we've been running a series of stories over the last few months on that topic. One of the things that we've discovered is that for the most part, the COVID pandemic has not negatively impacted Christian ministries donations, but in some ways it has impacted their expenses. Uh, That has meant that a lot of nonprofits that have endowments Uh, have not had to go into those endowments for the pandemic. And in some cases, they've seen their endowments actually grow as a result of the stock market surge this year. And that sounds like a good thing. Well, that depends on whether you think that donor money should be used to create a security blanket for the ministry or you think donor money should actually be used to do ministry. Uh, Our position at Ministry Watch is that endowments, except in rare circumstances, are not a good look for Christian ministries. Ministry Watch's financial efficiency ratings, for example, will grade a ministry lower if it has a large endowment. We think that if donors give you money for ministry, you should spend that money on, well, ministry. Uh, A recent survey, though, said that among organizations with investment holdings, a full 94% of those managers said that they viewed those investment holdings as long-term. 78% said that they plan to maintain their portfolios in perpetuity. That's not, in our view, a biblical perspective. Warren, who's in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, it's a ministry that we've written about before. It's an organization called Apartment Life. Apartment Life began in 2000 to improve the quality of life for apartment dwellers by strengthening communities, serving residents, and modeling the Christian life. Essentially, Apartment Life staffers live in an apartment complex and engage in community building, tenant retention, and other hospitality-related services in a contractual relationship with the apartment managers themselves. The apartment managers like that the tenants are happier and often will sign lease renewals, and the apartment life staff gets to share their faith with their neighbors. It's a business with a mission component. And finally, What are the ministries making a difference this week? Well, we've got several. Phased In is a ministry that was new to me, and I was glad to learn about it. It's a supervised transitional living program in Texas for kids who have aged out of the foster care system. It's kind of a hybrid between a group home and a college dorm. Phased in requires the residents to be between the ages of 18 and 21. They've got to engage in at least 20 hours a week of school, employment, or volunteering. Um, With a focus on social skills, the residents also learn life skills like budgeting, cooking, grocery shopping, and filling out job applications. The structured environment emphasizes um, rules, but also provides mercy and some options. They do an on-site Bible study there, for example, along with discipleship programs. Oh, that sounds amazing. What else? Yeah, well, we have news from an organization that we've reported on before here at Ministry Watch. It's Mission Eurasia. They have a program called Next Generation. It's a program for leaders uh, that is involved in distributing food baskets and scripture resources in needy communities. More than 10,000 of these food packages as part of an iCare refugee assistance program. The outreach uh, was launched earlier this month as churches in the former 
Soviet Union celebrated Orthodox Easter, and also, as the area noted, the 35th anniversary of the Chernobyl nuclear accident uh, that's considered to be, of course, one of the worst nuclear accidents in history. Next Generation, as I said, is a leadership training program designed to prepare Christian professionals to share the gospel in the workplace. Before we go, Warren, any updates on your book, Faith-Based Fraud? Yeah, well, if you'll forgive me a moment of shameless self-promotion, I'd just like to say that, yeah, we, we've we uh, got the book well launched. Those of you who bought a book uh, within the past week, I just want to say thank you very much. We debuted at number one in several Amazon categories. Now, if you didn't get a book, you can go to Amazon or your favorite online bookseller and get your copy. After you've read it, please write me a review. Uh, the more reviews we have, the better the book performs in their search algorithms. Also, I want to mention that this is our 101st podcast episode since we began this program a little more than a year ago. Uh, So, Natasha, thank you, by the way, for being my co-host here. And if you're a regular listener, I'd like to thank you as well. Um, If you're new to the program, welcome, and I hope you'll check out our archives, especially the extra episodes that feature interviews with newsmakers and experts. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Rod Pitzer, Steve Raby, Bethany E. Starin, Shannon Cuthrill, Bob Smetania, Ann Steich, and you, Warren. And thanks to our friends at the Nonprofit Times for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.